A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is needful. Mary has chosen the good portion, which shall not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mary and I are living in a home, as you know, where two children expect the world to be fair. Part of, I think, what parenting is, and this is just me, is to raise them with the understanding that the world isn't fair and that things aren't as black and white as they seem. Grant um, imitates me often by saying, when I tell him, it's more complicated than that. It's more complicated than that. But they expect the world to be fair. More than that, in the heritage um, fiefdom, they expect mom and dad to be the impartial judges of said fairness. So, if Grant gets a cookie, then to Lucy, she should have a cookie. It doesn't matter that Lucy had 10 cookies one hour ago. What's fair is that Grant got a cookie and now Lucy should get a cookie. And if Lucy is doing something that Grant believes the great mommy or daddy would not like, he sees it as his duty, his duty to the family to inform us of her misdeeds. Now, if a parent allows a household to be run like that, we will quickly end up with anarchy and the kids will be running the house, which some days during our deepest, darkest hours of parenting, we do throw up our hands and say, I'd be happy to have them do that. But in this passage, Martha has yet to learn, similar to many of our children, that nobody likes a snitch, right? Nobody likes a snitch or a tattletale or a fink or a narc or or a rat. Here, most of us have learned that very fact by, I don't know, kindergarten. Everything you needed to to know, you learned in kindergarten, and we've always learned in kindergarten that nobody likes a, a snitch, We know our mom and our dads don't like it. We know companies don't like it. Donald Trump doesn't like it. Countries don't like it, ask Snowden. We even know Guido and the boys down the street don't like it. But here's the interesting thing. Even Jesus, Jesus himself doesn't like it. But why? It's a question I asked myself. While looking at this text, why? 
You think any information on some breach of the rules or norms or a report of some injustice would be appreciated by Jesus. Look, Jesus, this injustice is going on here. Aren't you the one who has come to make all things right, to bring justice to the land? Why, why don't you like that? You'd think your mom would want you to tell her that your little brother is dipping a stick of butter in sugar and eating it like a banana. you think that would be a good thing, but you know, telling on someone just never goes over that well. Strange, isn't it? Why is that? Well, let's talk about the meaning of this parable that everybody looks to. The meaning sitting on the surface of this text, not parable text, uh, makes me feel good about myself. It, I, I think it makes me feel good about myself. It justified. Um, I can say, well, good, at least I'm not Martha, right? At least I'm not Martha. At least I'm willing to sit and listen at the feet of Jesus. At least I'm not too busy with other things. At least I'm not hurrying around trying to do all these other things in life. At least I'm not Martha. At least I'm not cleaning the bathroom or I rarely get distracted mowing the lawn or putting my dirty clothes in the hamper. I'm not Martha, so I'm okay. Martha, of course, whines to Jesus Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus responds, Martha, Martha. And I can just see Jesus shaking his finger patronizingly in his head back and forth. There is need of only one thing, and Mary has chosen the better part. I can see Mary turn as... <laughs> Uh, just as Jesus is turning away, Mary and Martha, I can see locking eyes and Mary sticking her tongue out at Martha as if to see, I told you so. I am not distracted by the mundane tasks of everyday life. Instead, I choose to sit with Jesus and listen to him for he has the words that will lead to eternal life. And on surface reading of this text, I feel good because I am not Martha. But I think this text pushes us in another direction. What it is also is it's implicit in this text is that Martha and Mary are being treated, first of all, let's analyze this, as disciples of Jesus. They're being treated as disciples of Jesus. One thing, the reason Luke is my favorite gospel is because Luke says, when you think you are on the inside, you're on the outside. The very moment you think you're on the inside, that is a litmus test, and you're on the outside. These women, by society standards, were on the outside, worse than even on the outside. But in Luke's Jesus, they're on the inside. The poor and downtrodden, 
by society standards and even by their own standards are on the outside. In Luke's Jesus is comes and says, I have something for you. Everybody who is on the outside is on the inside. And if we look at our country today, you could assess the things that are going on by people who are fighting um, to get on the inside. Jesus says, you already are on the inside. Try exchanging Mary and Martha for James and John. Jesus is teaching them in private. They are not one of the crowd, but part of his inner circle. I could go off on the cultural morose that might be responsible for the many women in the Gospels not being included on the official disciples list. But here they are, being taught as disciples of Christ. And I'm not sure that this text is calling people away from their domestic duties in favor of a life of contemplation at his feet to meditate on his words. See, that seems to me like it's uh, privileged reading. That seems to me like it's reading for the privileged. A single parent or a substance farmer is very distracted by the work of everyday life. Not only distracted, but harried and hurried, overwhelmed and exhausted. Someone has to feed the kids. Someone has to get the kids up. Someone has to make sure their clothes to wear. Someone has to go to work and bring home the money. If, if I can just sit at Jesus' feet and not worry about who's putting the mill on the table, that means someone else is doing it for me. And I think Jesus must be responding to, to this idea um, this privileged idea in society of someone always doing something else for me. I think the deep, deep, deep meaning in this text and in this story is the element of rivalry. Jesus is striking the very heart of rivalry. Rivalry between Mary and between Martha Rivalry between Mary's choice to sit and listen to Jesus and the voice of God telling Peter, James, and John, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. A chapter earlier, the disciples have had to fish or cut bait. And Jesus also tells them, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands. This is a real gut check. But by getting in an argument over which one of them is the greatest, followed by them telling on someone, some well-meaning folks who were casting out demons in Jesus' name. This Martha and Mary story is just another series of events or of instances in the disciples letting rivalry amongst them get in the way of the kingdom of God. It's ultimately this rival that these disciples, Martha and Mary, that Jesus is responding to. And in a sense, to me, he's trying to say, rivalries aren't helping my name. Rivalries aren't helping the kingdom of God. 
In fact, rivalries that we are living in as disciples of Christ then and perhaps now are the things that distract us. Living our lives in competition with, in opposition to, in judgment of institutions, individuals, creeds, and countries. They keep us worried about those things and out of earshot of Jesus. I think it's one of the most beautiful tactics that the devil has ever conceived. Keeps us from living, living in the fullness of life and letting the kingdom rule our hearts and our minds and our churches and Christian communities engage in rivalries all the time. What type of VBS camp should we have? It should be this type. No, it should be this type. We should not welcome homosexuals. No, we should welcome homosexuals. Maybe we should do something else. Let's rivalry begins. Well, we should have this type of worship or that type of worship. We should be a mission-focused church. We should, we should be a social justice-centered church. The rivalry begins and begins. I think Jesus doesn't, I don't think he gives one thought to rivalries because it messes up with his world and his kingdom. And Jesus calls us out of these rivalistic relationships and into a separate and a different kingdom. That's the problem with fundamentalism, right? And it's the problem with the extreme left in Christianity, right? It, we, we say, okay, you can join our circle of Christians. Um, you have to believe these things. And then it gets a little big and people start disagreeing and so we come back and we say, okay, well, um, you can join if you, you can remain if you believe these things. Suddenly the list went from 10 to 20. And then things happen more and more and more and more. And, and then it's, okay, well, you can remain if you believe in these 200 distinctive important elements of the faith. And in a sense, we just close our circle in. Jesus says, um, in this text at least, Jesus says, um, the kingdom of God is wide. And the kingdom of God is deep. And my grace can overcome all rivalries. And my banner is the only banner you need to live under. And no matter what you're doing, if you're listening to me, if you're working for me, if you're preaching for me or singing to me, whatever you're doing, make sure you do it 
within an earshot of my voice. Let's pray. God, forgive me, forgive Christianity, forgive churches when we ever um, turn this beautiful river of the kingdom of God into rivalries. Whenever we use it to that end, it is not holy or good. You deserve our best efforts, our holiest efforts. God, this week we commit to give you just that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.